Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's the top digital trends of 2018 from the fun to the profound on Access Utah today. We're going to talk about the me voting in 2016 versus me voting in 2018 meme, the my culture is not your prom dress meme, along with explorations in the digital world of hashtag me too and toxic masculinity. And yes, we'll probably end up talking about cats as well. Our guests are co-directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, USU English Department Head Jeannie Thomas and USU Assistant Professor of English Lynn McNeil. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good morning. This is uh, becoming a tradition, a fun tradition, uh, early in the year, uh, in to talk about the top digital uh, trends of uh, of the previous year. We'd love to hear your candidate for top digital trend of the year, or maybe just your favorite meme or tweet from 2018. And you can reach us on Twitter, at UPR Access. That's at UPR Access. You can email us, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Or you can call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826. 1495. So, Jeannie Thomas, uh, last year about this time, you were quoted in the Herald Journal as uh, saying that you thought it'd be all memes all the time. But uh, one of the things that you said that showed you this, this research showed you that people are very engaged in political and social justice issues as well. Yeah, that's true. I was surprised. I thought I'd get to do memes and urban legend stuff. I thought it was only going to be fun stuff, you know, very folkloric, maybe a little frivolous. Mm-hmm. But, but no, the Internet would not allow us to ignore what was happening and escape the social justice means. So to me, it really gave a powerful message that people care and they interact with what's happening culturally and historically around them. And they make fun of it, Mm -hmm. too. You know, they critique it, they play with it, which I found fascinating. And so we ended up dividing our um, contestants, I guess you could call them, into two categories, serious fun or fun that matters and um, social justice. Okay. And uh, Lynn McNeil, how does this work? Who... Who votes? How, this, do, how do you determine this? This is an excellent question. So it, it's a slow process over the year of, of narrowing down where we've got a team made up of faculty members and students in the folklore program. And staff. And staff. Mm-hmm. And a, a team out in the world of other interested parties, folklorists and, and non-folklorists alike, who track the trends that they see coming up in their personal slice of the internet and gather them together using the hashtag digital trend of the year or tagging our Twitter account, DigFolkProj, on Twitter if anyone's interested in checking it out. And as the year draws to a close, the research team gets together and kind of starts reviewing what's been going on over the year, what trends look like they had some staying power, what trends look like they might really carry some cultural weight, whether they're frivolous or serious. Um, And then we have... A series of wonderful meetings where we all get to argue about what we think should make it onto the ballot. Five contenders for each of our two categories, as Jeannie just said. And it gets really impassioned. People are ready to back a small but meaningful trend that they themselves have found really important. And I think that's one of our strengths as a project is that we're not a numbers game. This isn't you know, counting and, and aggregating and which meme got shared the most times. This is a bunch of folklorists and ethnographers saying what was important. Maybe it was even important only to a small group of people, but, but where is the power of digital folklore that we can, that we can share as an institution that studies this? Mm-hmm. So we create our ballot. We write up ballot entries with a history of each one of the contenders with detailing how 
We think each of those contenders meets our criteria for what makes something a digital trend of the year. And then we send that ballot out to a panel of experts all around the country and they vote. This kind of illustrates uh, uh, maybe a divide that perhaps is only in the mind of, uh, you know, someone my age, uh, which is there's the real world and then there's the digital world. Uh, and, and and therefore, you know, the top most important interesting things under that construct would be, well, you go to the newspaper or I don't know, you know. You wouldn't go to the digital world, but um, I, I'm I'm who, guessing. Who that is you, this man? <laughs> <laughs> New, I would go to the digital world and the newspaper. Talk. There, there I'd go, go to the okay. digital newspaper. <laughs> yeah. So so talk to me about this. These I mean these these are this is plugging in to yeah. where we are. Right? Is what you would say? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think what it does is it maybe mixes things up more than that that other world that you're talking about, where it's sort of serious news is separated. You watch, um, say, a Gen Zer with their phone, and they're on their phone all the time. And they're, you know, looking at some of the memes that, that showed up on our list, like the Tide Pod Challenge. And um, that's actually a YouTube video. And they're getting the news. And it's all coming through in their various um, threads, you know. So that's that's one thing that I see. So um, it depends on the person how literate they are and what's going on, which I think thus was ever the case. It's just a different format, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess one illustration of the power of this is, um, you know, our president, mm-hmm. who, who uh, you know, took up this platform of Twitter. Absolutely. And uh, wrote it, uh, you know, that was uh, was part of it, wrote it to the presidency. Yeah, and I think this has really helped illustrate that Twitter isn't just for frivolous, unimportant commentary. Twitter is one of the main ways that, in fact, many of us access our more formalized news outlets. I think Jeannie hit the nail on the head. It's this blending of word of mouth culture and published and and printed news or, or broadcast news where we're just able to see better now how that's always been intermingled with each other. We hear news headlines from our friends, whether that's around the coffee table or on social media. The We, we get redirected to news sites by links and tweets. We hear about commentary in the comment section of newspapers' websites from everyday people giving their opinion on what a reporter might have said. And we get a large amount of information from the leader of our country through mm-hmm. social media as well. And I think that that not being able to neatly distinguish those different means of formal versus informal communication is one of the major defining characteristics of, of digital culture. Well, let's jump in. Uh, before we get to the, the list, um, uh, in my introduction and promotional announcements, I just chose some of my favorites <laughs> that, I, that, I, that from the past year. Um, and this one I had not been uh, familiar with, but it, I, I, I got a big kick out of uh, me voting in 2016 versus me voting <laughs> yeah. in 2018. These are a, a, oh. a bunch of uh, memes. Uh, t- tell me about this. The the well put together woman voting in yeah. in 2016, very yep. very professional looking, very together looking, versus the the fierce mud stained apocalyptic yeah post apocalyptic <laughs> uh, woman dragging herself in fiercely to the ballot booth. Yep. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about the about the 
the the nature of internet memes and the way that we can create what folklorists would probably call folk art online, where we get to take images of famous people and put our own text on them and, you know, put them together in collages and things like that, is we basically get to hire actors for free to express our own attitudes and emotions. So I can choose an innocent and hopeful looking young Princess Leia as portrayed by Carrie Fisher for me voting in 2016, you know, hopeful, bright future. And then I can take sort of like the hardened, grizzled general Leia that Carrie Fisher became yeah. in the latest Star Wars movies. And that's me voting in 2018. Right, and I right. can I can use these images to really articulate my own change in attitudes over time. And the range of me voting in 2016 versus me voting in 2018 memes is just glorious. Uh, one, a similar one I'm looking at right now is Mark Hamill. So you get the mm. young Mark Hamill and <laughs> then you get the old Mark Hamill. Star Wars clearly was a... <laughs> and where my mind went was whether you support the president or not, uh, he, he, you know, he, he attempts to command every nano news cycle and it can be just exhausting. And I, I, I kind of relate to this just... Taking the political aside, just the mm-hmm. just the acceleration of the attention demanded, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling like the old Mark Hamill you know, <laughs> yeah. because of that. Well, you know, and the internet kind of before you just had to take it all. You know, you just had to be a receptacle for the news, but now the internet lets you talk back. And one of the ones that showed up on our list this year in the social justice was the hashtag presidential alert because in September. Um, the Homeland Security decided to trot out a new national version of the Amber Alert system. You know, there's something, some national emergency you need to be aware of. So they did a test, and everyone got this presidential alert on their phone, and they're all like, oh, no, he's going to tweet at me personally now. And so there was all this backlash, and people could uh, critique all the tweeting and and all the backlash and play with it and make fun of it. And um, we haven't had that before. Now we can do that much more... Um, easily, and even in some cases more directly. Yeah. And Photoshop gives us the opportunity to to hypothesize what sort of inane information we might receive through this new official system. Some of these are my favorite. The one that just says, you up? Question yeah. Mark. yeah. That's it. From the president. That's the presidential alert. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. or, okay. or the famous yeah. one of Hillary Clinton looking really badass. Can I say that on the radio? Uh, well, we, uh, we, I guess we, you just yeah. did. I yeah. just did. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at her phone, it's a famous meme. And um, and the tweet comes from Trump, and, and it's the presidential alert, you are still not president. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. Nope, so, uh, hashtag presidential alert. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me another one from the list here. Um, let's do, oh, let's do a fun one. Lynn's favorite, and oh. this is this is such a good folklore classic, Baby Shark. Baby Shark. Oh. You know, I didn't know, I confess, about Baby Shark until we hit the debate and defend your candidate recommendations part of our research team meetings. And the minute I heard it, I was sold. I was lost (laughs) to Baby Shark. Suddenly I'm going, Baby Shark should maybe win this. Like, it is the earworm to beat all earworms. Well, and I didn't know about Baby Shark until this morning when Jeannie came in and said, let's get the audio. So we got the audio. Uh, You want to set this up? Yeah, I came in early because I thought everybody needs to be inflicted with this earworm. And I haven't had this much fun since Itsy Bitsy Spider. So it's it's just a it's a kid's song and it comes from you know one of those play games that you, and there's a hand there are hand motions that 
um, you can do with it. They're simple. So Lynn and I can manage it. We'll be trying to teach Tom when you play the music. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yep. it just sticks with you, and it's it's something that can drive parents crazy, but it can also help them manage little kids because little kids love it, and so do older kids. I mean, my millennials and Gen Zs knew it. They they can, oh, really? They oh, yeah. They okay. can do it. Oh, yeah. Well, let's hear uh, just a portion of Baby Shark here. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's, I love that we got the whole thing in there. Yeah, and Ginny uh, uh, Lynn, we're doing the actions. That's great. Oh yeah. Well, and yeah. it's it's fun to have. I mean, camp songs, children's songs are just a classic form of offline folklore. It's so cool to see that that can become a digital folklore trend. Mm-hmm. That that the hashtag Baby Shark. One of my favorite subset of Baby Shark memes is videos of kids asking Alexa to play Baby Shark oh, very nice. for them. Yeah. Um, there was even a parody of the um, the Drake challenge where you dance alongside your moving car, but set to Baby Shark instead of <laughs> Drake's music. It was It's awesome. Yeah, the internet seems to love sharks, too. I was That's thinking true. there's a whole genre of shark stuff. I think it started with... Um, there was sitcom Happy Days, and there was an episode right. where the character right. Fonzie jumps the Fonzie shark. Fonzie jumps the shark, yeah. And it's, I think, symbol symbolizes lameness in the world. Yes. And then you had Katy Perry not too long ago with the left, left shark, shark that couldn't quite get the choreography down. And then you've got the very well but simply choreographed baby shark. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, we're pointing out before we went on the air, uh, the, the actions for Grandma Shark are somewhat ageist. It's, uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's yes. her gums a right toothless. there. A toothless. Toothless yes. shark. Yeah. 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 Grandpa, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah though yeah, he yeah, still yeah. gets some robustness. And, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's a man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's unfair. This, really. You'd think this generation would get this straight. we got to talk to those five-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's fun. And that, I, that is real... Uh, Earworm, right? Oh, I could man. See that, that could get in there, and oh. and after you know the millionth time, that could get annoying. Yeah, I and, thought no. about it this morning and hated myself for it because yeah. I, it's going to be there all day. Yeah, yeah. No, I could listen to Baby Shark forever. <laughs> <laughs> get get Lana recording of yep. Baby Shark. Yep. What's next on the list? Oh man, there were so many good ones. One of the ones that that I, I thought was just 
really fun and unexpected was um, the Marxist gritty meme. If you love him, um, I know, and such an unexpected turn. So, so who is gritty? This is the Philadelphia Flyers, the hockey team's new mascot, Gritty, who looks sort of like a large orange grimace from the McDonald's cast of characters. If we could, just sort of a general cone-shaped shaggy orange guy who I recently heard described as um, he was designed to look like you'd want to high five him but not hug him <laughs> which I think is is fairly accurate and he came out sort of as a you know crazy sports mascot a la you know Philly's other mascot the Philly fanatic who's also sort of a strange looking creature um, and was really quickly appropriated by a leftist anti-fascist movement um, that generated a whole bunch of memes of Marxist or Marxist um, sayings and and quotes and and images tied to gritty and gritty became sort of a feature in some protests that were happening in the area and stuff like this and it was such a rapid unexpected turn for this character to take but it was enormously popular. What's going on here? This this happens sometimes. Um, a, a wholly different group co-ops. Yeah. Or attempts to co-opt a, a symbol from a from different group. And so this one's interesting because this is a corporate symbol, um, and he started off kind of a klutz. And there's some debate about whether that was deliberate or whether they just didn't have their act together. I'm using the, the good words we can say on the radio mm-hmm. now, Tom. But anyway, there's there was a lot of debate about that. And um, the far left just picked him up and ran with it. People think it, it's because it, he's associated with Philadelphia, which is kind of an underdog city. Um, a socialist publication said, Gritty is clearly a worker. He's mm. clearly of the people. Um, sort of the corporate line was he lives in the ice arena and survives on hot dogs. So, so there's some... <laughs> kind of <laughs> hard luck story there. Mm-hmm. Some people think he looks like a he has a giant Muppet Karl Marx beard. It's things like that. So um, he just got taken over and kind of flipped. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite memes of Gritty is a uh, photoshopping of the White House's Christmas decorations this year, the, the red I trees that, that caught so many people off guard, all photoshopped to have Gritty's face on them and, and be orange They're instead orange. of red. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the New Yorker did a piece on him. Yeah. That's, yep. that's how, um, how much, I guess, you, cultural relevance he seemed to have. Yeah. Well, red could be considered a Marxist color, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there you go. Uh, let's, let's take a break. We need to take a break when we come back. Uh, more of the uh, top 10 digital trends of the year as uh, chosen by the uh, Digital Folklore Project at Utah State University. And we're talking with uh, Lynn McNeil, Assistant Professor of English at USU, and uh, USU English Department Head Jeannie Thomas. They're co-directors of the USU uh, Digital Folklore Project. We'd love to hear from you. What's your favorite tweet, meme? What's your favorite digital trend of the year? Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at UPRAxis, at UPRAxis. Uh, you can email us, UPRAxis at gmail.com, UPRAxis at gmail.com. Or you can call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. When we come back, I want to talk, this didn't make the list either, but um, there, there's some interesting sort of meta upon meta uh, uh, photos, at least one photo that I saw, uh, talking about toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. I found on, the, uh, found on the folklore page here. I want to uh, describe that and talk about that a little bit. And uh, we did have, not to hashtag me too, but uh, we have a in that general area, on our top 10 list uh, for Mm -hmm. this year as well. More following this break. 
Hey, I'm Ali Hassan sitting in for Tom Power. You're going to hear from Roger Daltrey, lead singer of The Who. He's going to tell you all about his rise to fame, going from high school dropout to becoming one of the biggest rock stars in the world. That is all coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. This afternoon at 1 o'clock here on Utah Public Radio. If life is a play in three acts, the final act is often the best. Whoa, I'm 53 <laughs> years old. I say, is my life half over? Holy smokes, like that concentrates the mind. Maybe it is time for me to reckon with this question of who am I really? How to embrace and celebrate the third act. Next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRX. Sunday morning at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Utah Public Radio's community calendar highlights events across the state, including musical performances, festivals, live theater, art shows, dance, educational or guest lectures, workshops, volunteer opportunities, and more. We have a more user-friendly submission page. Just visit the UPR website at upr.org and click on the community calendar link. There, you can review the submission guidelines. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're recounting the top digital trends of 2018. And we're talking with co-directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, USU English Department Head Jeannie Thomas and USU Assistant Professor of English Lynn McNeil. Uh, we'd love to hear your candidate for top digital trend of the year, your favorite tweet or meme from uh, 2018. You can reach us on Twitter at UPR Access. You can email us to upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. I'm uh, getting emotional here with, uh, with <laughs> no, something just went down the wrong way. It was baby shark. Uh, it, was was baby shark. it was baby shark. I, I'm, it's, it's hitting now and I'm, I'm realizing the full import of baby shark and, uh, and I, I can't overcome it. Um, so I was on my way on the digital folklore, uh, Facebook page to this toxic masculinity. And then I, I came upon another one that's become my favorite. Uh, this is letters from the civil war. Oh, this and is... And, you know, Ken Burns, we all know the mm -hmm. letters over the over the music, mm -hmm. and it's it tugs your heartstrings. I just want to read this one. This is from David Strauss. My dearest Martha, the enemy tried to storm our position, but we barricaded ourselves with Hillary's emails. We were unable <laughs> to get over them. We have snuck behind enemy, line, enemy lines and removed the gender-specific signage from their latrines. Now we wait for their bladders to explode. If I shall fall, please, as many have requested, bury me at Copernicni. Please send more ammunition, but only if it qualifies under Amazon Prime to our delivery. We shall not fire until we see the whites of their robes. I hear news now that the Colorado 420th has arrived. They have brought snacks. Curse this war. <laughs> Which is, that's just really good. It is. It's, this was in response to a, to a video clip from Alex Jones's show where he claimed that on the 4th of July, the Democrats were going to be declaring a second civil war. Uh, which, of course, we now know in hindsight did not happen. Uh, many people knew it was not going to happen then as well. But it led to this glorious meme. And this is just one of those opportunities for people to showcase incredible creativity and just incredible savviness of, of blending this, this digital technology with sort of this old style of communication where you can mimic the model we're all so familiar mm -hmm. with, you know, letters yeah. from this, yeah. this terrible time in American history applied to this 
new terrible time in American history. I, I should have known this was in response to Alec Jones. So. Yeah, indeed. One of the things that I thought was interesting about this one is if you think about it kind of deeply and in terms of format, uh, one of the concerns we do have is that there's so much digital information out there that we're going to lose it because it's too much to keep track of. It's just this flood, this huge amount of info that's coming at you all the time. And so that's one of the things the project tries to do is we try to say, hey, we're going to catch this and preserve it. And it's going to be in the archive. And it's archived through USU Libraries. Um, and so we do it monthly. So this stuff will be preserved, you know, like we have those letters from the Civil War that are preserved because they're actual documents. Mm. You know, we're going to we're grabbing these so that we yeah. don't lose them. Uh, because this is now our history, right? Um, so mm-hmm. uh, where do you find these? Oh, in yeah. in our archives, in archives you, yeah. you can go to the, the Digital Folklore Project um, through the Digital Commons area of the Merrill Kazir Library's website, and you find the, the documentation of what we've saved as well as, somewhat intermittently, um, the research team's field notes about them, where we can sort of talk about, this is what I was observing, this is what was happening, this is what was taking place. Probably the best place to find this um, for the general public is on our Twitter feed, yeah. scrolling back, because one of the ways that we make sure we're catching stuff sort of on the fly is by tweeting it using the hashtag digital trend of the mm. year or, or tagging the project in it. Um, and it really is surprising to go back through that archive and see trends you sort of think oh I'm not going to forget about this this was in the news this was a thing that happened but it's so ephemeral and things move so fast online that you get back just a few months and all of us on the research team going through our our Twitter feed and our archive are going oh of course I forgot about that was that this year um and it's amazing to see we we tend to assume that Everything that's on the internet stays on the internet. And that's a thing that we stress about and worry about, that those embarrassing photos I posted when I was 17 are going to come back to haunt me on the internet. And in reality, things really can disappear. Things really do get lost. Um, You know, the internet has been described as self-archiving, and I like to say that it's self-archiving the way a landfill is Mm self-archiving. It's all there. But you can't parse it. You can't search it. Things actually do rot even in digital spaces um, so that the links we have don't don't go where they used to go. So mm-hmm. our archiving strategy is really let's make these into digital artifacts um, that it may seem overblown to, you know, collect metadata and individually secure each tweet. But it becomes a really useful artifact of a really fast-moving cultural setting. Mm-hmm. A snapshot of culture, if you will. Just, yeah. I want to just give a shout out to the librarians at USU Libraries because they've been wonderful partners on this Amazing. project. It's a lot of work. Yes. Uh, and a lot of work of us trying to figure out as we go. So this has been a labor of love for everyone yeah. involved of what is the best way to do something mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, to the best of our knowledge, we were the first of our kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations. Yeah. So that's uh, the Digital Folklore Project. I was just thinking... Um, this is this is stuff you know while we're living it that we don't I guess value the historical mm-hmm. um, you know import um, an example uh, I was reading and this was Slate magazine they had an interesting article about um, the stuff that's coming off copyright so from 1923 a lot of the stuff is coming off copyright in 2019 and uh, they went back and they brought up reviews of plays and music and they said you know obviously there's a there's a lot of good stuff. But it, like in most years, there's a lot of bad stuff. So they had a bunch of reviews of uh, 
uh, presumably really bad plays and really bad, you know, stuff. And that was a kind of a nice view for me into 1923. So, what are you saying, Tom? That we're just as crappy as 1923, <laughs> or they're as crappy as we are, or somehow comforting? <laughs> No, that came out wrong. No, that's that's uh, not what I was uh. saying at all. No, uh, I'm just saying that this is valuable work. Absolutely, gotcha. Yeah. And gotcha. I think I yeah. think also this is you're you're zeroing in on one of the the benefits of studying folklore, any kind of folklore, whether it's digital or non-digital or offline or online, is you know things like movies and and books and television shows have a lot of interests keeping them alive even if they're terrible. We have, you know, producers and advertising executives and and money being funneled into making sure a movie gets made even if after it comes out it's panned roundly and doesn't make any money. Folklore really has only its own relevance to keep it going. Is this meme worth sharing? Does this meme strike enough people as funny or poignant or, you know, astute commentary for them to forward it on or to reshare it or tweet it out to to their followers. And so when we look at at this stuff, at this vernacular culture, we get a really accurate bead on what matters to everyday people, the people who don't have executive producers and advertising dollars behind the statements that they want to make publicly. And so when we see, wow, this trend really took off, we can say, wow, this really mattered to people. This this is something people wanted to say mm. badly enough to, to keep finding new and more creative ways to say it. Mm. Before we get back into the list, I want to get back to get the rest of the list, top 10 digital trends of the year, 2018. Uh, this, this meme on toxic masculinity just really struck me. This is to describe this, this from Geeky Steven. You can find this on the Facebook page for uh, Digital Folklore Project. Uh, a couple of, uh, you know, kind of uh, blue collar, scruffy... Um, I'm, I'm offending whole swaths of the audience here, but um, uh, uh, so the, the the one man is older. He's got a Fu Manchu mustache, uh, white hair, um, um, and he's got a sleeveless uh, shirt on, tattoos, and he's talking with a younger man with a ball cap. Um, so the older man says, "What is toxic masculinity?" And and they're both looking hostile. Mm-hmm. What is toxic masculinity? The second guy says, "Societal norms that stifle male emotional expression outside of anger and violence, thus cultivating future violence." And the the older man getting more angry. Can you give me an example? And uh, the younger man uh, says, and I'll I'll edit here stuff like this. <laughs> and the older man says, uh, "He's standing now." Pointing his finger in the face of the younger man says, thank you, I understand now. <laughs> you have beautifully, <laughs> visually described for us here the American Chopper argument This meme. is on our list yeah. this year. This, this was uh, actually... Oh, oh yes. yep. Yeah, yes, okay. Yeah. Yep, yep, this yep. was in our serious fun um, category. This was one of them. This American Chopper is a, a reality TV show about a father and son who worked on I've seen on this. Motorcycles. I didn't recognize this. This is father yep. and son, and, and that's yep. a lot of hostility. Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. And they both have the same name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Paul... Okay. Paul Senior. Yeah. Paul, I, d- Paul I didn't Jr. recognize him in this content, but that, that's perfect because they're always, if you watch the show, yep. reality show, they're always in each other's face. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, but it is this meme has become just an amazing way to both model and mock 
argumentative styles where people debate back and forth. One of my favorite examples that showed up on our ballot was this this same five panel meme um, making the argument that American chopper memes are compelling rhetorical devices that should be taught in schools. Um, and then the next one argues back their impenetrable walls of text serving only as exceedingly dry in jokes for the racial subcultures already familiar with their subjects. And then the argument back they brilliantly employ American chopper as a lowbrow carrier wave to entire people to read about ideas they otherwise wouldn't. I mean, so this like highbrow argument taking place with, as you just described, these two sort of rough looking guys yelling back and forth at yeah. each other. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's even better now that I know it's American Chopper guys. It's, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, yeah. I've, seen the, I've seen that footage. Yeah. yeah. Endless variation on that. And again, like Lynn said, a lot of meta. Mine was this format acknowledges the existence of competing information and as such is the only format suited to the complexity of our world. Mm. <laughs> yeah, profound stuff for yeah. a trivial and, internet and meme. Yeah. They have a point. It goes to what I was talking about earlier about um, you're able to talk back, you're able to get different sides. You may be yelling at each other, but you can see it, and um, people do see it. Yeah. yeah, much needed in our times. Absolutely. That's, that's for sure. Well, what's the next on the list? for the, so, And you said that one made your list. The, mm-hmm. the top yeah. Ten. Okay. yeah. What's, uh, what's next that you'd like to share? I'll... Go for it. I'll do Tide Pods. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 So the millennials had avocado toast. Poor Gen Z has been <laughs> pegged with Tide Pods, as in this generation is so dumb that they eat these things as a dare. This is a, one of those YouTube videos. There are lots of them. Take the cinnamon challenge, you know, mm. things that make you sick. And I just want to say up front and very clearly, do not do this at home. Mm. It is dangerous. There have been actual cases of kids doing it. And you can really get poisoned doing it. Um, and you can look at the statistics. I think about 40 people have actually been poisoned by them. Mm. Um, but does that really characterize Gen Z? I would say no, probably not. But it may characterize our, our eternal penchant to say, boy, look at kids today. What, <laughs> what silly thing are they doing now? And, yep. Yep. And we do. I mean, a lot of fun stuff has grown of this. There's you can get Tide Pod decorated donuts. You can get Tide Pod decorated cookies, mm. candies made now to look like Tide Pods. So we sort of see the the aggregation nature of these memes where it began with this original challenge and sort of the, the various perceptions that it created for us and then becomes this really great source of play where we can now safely eat, if not a Tide Pod, mm. a Tide Pod donut. So uh, is this coming? Are these memes coming from the young people, coming from Gen Z? Is that what, or well, where, are they, where are these coming from? Yes and no. I mean, certainly Gen Zers do the Tide Pod challenge, but a lot of the memes are about how stupid this is, i.e. how dumb Gen Z is. Oh, I see. So this, this is so criticizing again, it's, it's, Gen it's, Z, I see. That's yeah. that yeah. doubleness that, okay, yeah. that the other memes have been talking yeah. about. Yeah, right. yeah, memes are... In, in that they are available to everyone to to be used as a, a way to, to communicate and to, to share opinions and desires, two sides of an argument can very easily take up the same idea, the same meme. Um, and this becomes a space in which a lot of public discourse and public debate ends up taking place. So we can sort of glorify, you know, the old image of orators standing in a public square arguing back and forth. We have that. It's just Tide Pods on the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> What's next on the list? So um, 
we're going to leak here because we haven't actually, we decided to hold off until January this year to do our press release. So we're going to give you a hot scoop. It okay. Came, it, came, right. it came down to two and Tide Pods was one of them. And before we get to the finalists, I want to talk about another um, fun one that was in the social justice category, and that is Black Hogwarts. Did you see any of those? No, I haven't seen Black Hogwarts. Those came out in January, and I remember when they came out because I'm on this project, so I'm always looking for the first breakout meme of the new year. And I remember that one coming out, and it was pretty clearly going to be a big meme. So this is a critique of of J.K. Rowling and um, saying... Where are the people of color in your books? Which is a fair critique of her work. Um, she also tweeted that she saw these and loved them. Mm-hmm. But you get all these funny memes, including that depict characters from the books um, by African American actors. So um, Morgan Freeman, for instance, plays Dumbledore. Um, the Ministry of Magic is Barack Obama. The Minister of Magic is Barack Obama. Um, Let's see. Snoop Dogg is Professor Sprout, and there are pictures of him in Sprout's it. lab, you know, growing weed. <laughs> so, um, but um, Dolores Umbridge is still always white. <laughs> <laughs> this is there's a there's a a whole broad genre um, online of fan casting or recasting. If you have a favorite book, you can look up. Um, you know, go onto Google and type in the name of a book you love that has not yet been made into a movie and you will find fan casting of it where people suggest this actor should play this character, this actor should play this character. And you can debate about it and you can vote on it. People will set up who should play this character. And this is a really great specific use of that to cast something, not because it hasn't been done, because it's been done, but in a non-representative way or a way that doesn't feel as though it's really reflecting a whole lot of people's lived experiences. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I guess projecting your wishes, mm-hmm. you can't fulfill those, perhaps. But uh, I mean, apart from just the fun, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's take another break. When we come back, uh, any more from the list? And um, I want to talk about my culture is not your prom dress. Mm-hmm. And then there's an updating of famous uh, meme. I don't know if when this was this is from Spain. I think you you said Gene mm-hmm. Thomas. It's it's a couple walking down the street. And uh, the 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 young man is is ogling um, another woman walking by, and the and his his partner is annoyed. Yeah, the distracted boyfriend. So now they have updated that with the <laughs> the caption is they got old. It's <laughs> I don't know if it's the original people in the. We in the all meme, get but, uh, old as yeah. we all do. <laughs> anyway, uh, much more with the Digital Folklore Project and the top digital trends of the year following this. Erie, Superior, Michigan, Huron, Ontario. The Great Lakes, each with a distinct personality. Jeremy Turner was inspired by family vacations at the Great Lakes when he wrote this piece for mandolin and violin. Chris Thiele and James Ennis play Inland Seas on the next Performance Today from APM. Tonight at 9 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Just when you thought you were done with 2018, we drag you back in, but it won't hurt. This week, a review of all the best news from the past year, Wait Wait style, plus never-before-heard segments and games, and a visit from LeVar Burton, who tells us the engines just can't take it anymore. I'm Peter Sagal. Join us for the News Quiz from NPR. Saturday morning at 9 on Utah Public Radio.
Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We are talking about the top digital trends of uh, 2018. We're talking with the co-directors of the USU Digital Folklore Project, USU English Department Head Jeannie Thomas, and USU Assistant Professor of English Lynn McNeil. And uh, we're been counting down the, or kind of just cherry picking, not counting down from the top ten, which is fine, which is which is fun. And uh, we'd love to know your favorite meme or tweet or digital trend. You can uh, find us on Twitter at upraxis. You can email us to upraxis at gmail uh, dot com. Before we uh, jump into any of your uh, favorites, and maybe we can get to some of the your favorites that didn't make the list. Um, this one's interesting. Um, my culture is not your prom dress. There's there's a history here. There's a, a famous uh, prom uh, photo. Uh, a young lady named uh, Kazia or Kazaya who wore a Chinese uh, dress to prom and uh, posted it. Mm-hmm. And then she got a lot of blowback. Absolutely. By people saying you're appropriating my culture. And then apparently some people in China were saying, "Hey, that's fine with us. You know, it's just uh, it's honoring our culture." So it's a big argument back and forth. And then that predictably uh, brought some um, some parody. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and this actually happened here in Utah. This is where this took place. So it. Oh, I forgot that. That's yeah, r- that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, made it as as local news. Yeah. Uh, so there's one here, and you can find this on the Facebook page for the Digital Folklore Project. Uh, there's a a, a lady uh, wearing uh, kind of a, a, a stylish robe and a pope hat, and uh, and and uh, this Pope Francis is saying, "My culture is not your prom dress." Yep. This is. This particular um, meme, when it happened, I thought led to some of the, at least as far as my experience of it went, and I know I'm sure there were extremes on both sides, but some of the most thoughtful and engaged discussions of cultural appropriation that I have seen online. I mean, people mm-hmm. really sort of trying to parse out who, what cultures can be appropriated, what can't, why is this bad, why isn't this, why does this make someone uncomfortable, but not this. And it, I mean, a really serious nexus of really fascinating discussion taking place here. To me, this is one of the the best examples of how an internet meme, for as much as it may kind of be, you know, emerging as parody or or satire or mocking or something like that, really gives people an outlet to join in a discussion about something that they might not otherwise have a chance to talk about. Yeah. One of my favorites in this uh, series, a lady wearing a zebra pattern shirt. <laughs> She's on her phone in the back seat of a car, and a zebra sticks his head in through the open window and says, my culture is not your fashion, Linda. So that's, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Variant on this is um, my culture is not your costume, which mm. came out around mm-hmm. Halloween. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do we have any more on the list? Do we, do we yes, list? we do. Um one I know that both Lynn and I like because it's so folkloric. That's the Momo Challenge. Yes, indeed. This is one that I was fighting for pretty, pretty hard. I, I don't think it even came close to, to placing anywhere. But this was an urban legend that circulated online um, claiming that if you sent a message to a particular phone number using the app WhatsApp, um, you would receive in response um, some disturbing images, some various challenges that you might do that sort of increasingly lead to situations of self-harm. And this is something that's happened before, self-harm challenges, suicide challenges online. Um, the most well-known is the Blue Whale Challenge that came out of Russia a few years ago. This one is mostly confined to South America, is where the phone numbers at least have have been traced to. And 
news reports suggest that at least one young person has killed themselves in response to, to this challenge. Though, as with the blue whale challenge, it's much, much more about the stress and the strain and the warnings and the hype um, than about actual instances of, of people being harmed by this. But it is classically folkloric. The image that circulates with it, the character who's being called Momo, is this really uncanny terrifying looking bird woman that is actually taken having nothing to do with the urban legend as it circulates from um, an art exhibit in Japan that an artist created this scary sculpture of this bird woman and that's the image that has been attached to this and that's the character who is known as as Momo and even locally here I know that um, warnings have circulated in schools that you know kids have been talking about this and this is not a thing that we want them talking about so you know make sure you explain to them that Momo isn't real and that the Momo challenge is not something to be trifled with. So hmm. this is interesting folklorically because it's such classic adolescent and and uh, preteen lore. This is this is kind of like uh, the internet version of Bloody Mary and the the mirror, uh, or even the Ouija board. You know, some some supernatural seeming entity that directs you to do things that are bad. Um, very urban legendy. I also get a kick out of it because it's very clearly the sculpture. I bet the sculptor knew this. I don't know the sculptor. I can't say that for sure, but it's a siren. Mm-hmm. It's it's completely the bird with the woman's head and the breasts that come out of Greek mythology. Only in the Japanese version, it looks more like a siren who has a really bad hangover and a bad hairdresser. <laughs> but it's clearly a siren. So they're taking this this old classical mythology and updating it to our time. And it also deals with very real issues um, parents are worried about kids being bullied on the internet. It brings up cyberbullying issues. It brings up suicide, which is a very real issue and a, certainly a real issue for the state of Utah. I might add that's a big problem in the state of Utah. So um, these stories dramatize real issues in memorable ways. Um, it's not even clear that it, it actually exists or even impacted the one young woman in South America. So it's it's got those urban legend qualities, and I, um, one of one response that I really got a kick out of is um, somebody posted in response to it. It's just a dumb number with a weird picture. Um, some people say that the owner will dox you. That's release your your home phone numbers and addresses so people can harass you and send you gore pictures. But I think that's just bull. It's just some bored guy trying to be a scary edge lord. <laughs> <laughs> I like the language there. That's a, you know, young people pop culture language. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, that's pretty clear-eyed assessment, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. I think um I think it also brings up some very real issues and that's why mm-hmm. those those legends continue. I mean, parents worry about their kids. We worry about the internet. We worry about the internet's impact on our kids. We worry about its impact on us. Yeah. And and urban legends thrive on ambiguity, on on that lack of clarity about did this or didn't this happen. And one of the reasons so many of them, even in the face of well-articulated debunking, they survive on that, but what if? Mm-hmm. It, and it's often not worth it. If What if this happened? What if this did impact my kids? I, I'd rather not take that chance. Parenthetically, um, Slenderman. Mm-hmm. One of the remarkable things about Slenderman to me is you can point to the exact day and the person yep. who created it. Yep, and, and that and does yet not it's, yet weaken. it's taken off its, a life of its own. Absolutely. Yep, that does not weaken its impact at all. Yeah. Uh, I suppose that goes to our fears, our mm-hmm. 
our concerns and this this sort of got plugged into those, right? Yeah, well, and as Jeannie said, the Momo Challenge is really touching on things that we are really, really stressed about right now. And so it, it remains really salient, even when we can say, I don't think that really happened. Yeah. Uh, anything else on the list? Would you like sounds? to know the uh, the winner? Yes. Drum roll, please. Yes. yes. We, we definitely need that. So Tom is breaking news here. All right. Okay. Here it is. It, it came down to, it was a close race between the Tide Pod Challenge and the Why I Didn't Report. And that was the hashtag that came out during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings Mm -hmm. in response to Christine Blasey Ford's testimony and people saying, well, why didn't she report this at the time when she was a teenager? And um, this one is interesting because clearly uh, a major social issue dealing with sexual assault, but also kind of um, a deeper take and a more nuanced take on the whole Me Too thing. You can see us maybe further progressing into that conversation with people starting to explain why it's so hard to report sexual assault. So what happened is people then told personal stories in response to Uh, this hashtag explaining why it's hard to report, why people don't report. So there was, this was really didactic. They were educating people about this. And it was a, it's a great folklore genre, the personal experience narrative. It's traditional. Mm -hmm. We narrate the stuff of our lives and that's what people were doing with this hashtag. Mm. Yeah. The Kavanaugh hearings is so seminal. I'm still digesting it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, in fact, I'll put in a plug where, UPR is going to be hosting a panel discussion later this month. We'll have word on that here in Logan and ahead of Great. that in an episode of Access Utah. Uh, I think, you know, that, I think we're all just sort of, I mean, it, it happened. He's on the Supreme Court, but but some of these reverberations, I, I'm still trying to think through. Yeah, so is the Twitterverse, and that's that's why I think ultimately the judge judges picked it for the digital trend of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah, uh, that's the top digital trend, narrowly beating out the Tide Pods, illustrating the two sides of this: the kind of the fun versus yep. the 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 very serious. And a lot of serious stuff goes goes uh, on on Twitter, along with well, I said we'd probably end up mentioning uh, cats. We haven't to this point, but uh, if if you go on the internet, it's still filled with cats. Oh yeah, I love the cats. The cats with cucumbers, such a classic. No. Where you where you put the cucumber <laughs> behind the cat and the cat jumps. Great videos. Great videos. <laughs> That is true. Yep. It'll. Yeah. I think we've we're we're with cats on the internet for a long time. Yeah. There are some. I mean, some dogs. Certain dog breeds. I hesitate yeah. to say the most cat-like of dog breeds, but but certain dog breeds are growing in popularity on on the internet. Well, but cats still reign supreme. There's also dog shaming. But, well, that's true. But yeah. cats are so quirky. They're gonna. I think they're gonna rule. Yeah. And yeah. I'm a dog person, but yeah. I have to be honest here. I I have read one study that suggested that. Um, it's that dogs' downfall on the internet is how much they want to please us, how emotionally engaged they are with us. And it's actually cats' aloofness that lets us project more onto them and, and be charmed when they do things that, that are so appealing to us because we know they're not doing it to appeal to us. Right. That's right. That's right. They're very aloof. Mm-hmm. And they're, that's part of their attraction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Linda Lee has uh, t- tweeted at us, um, and um, she's uh, she's put up a picture and an article from Vox.com about Gritty. Mm. Gritty's evolution from googly-eyed hockey mascot to uh, to meme that the left uh, embraces. And it's uh, it's a gritty Mount Rushmore. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a pretty good one. There were a lot of 
people supporting Gritty on our on our ballot this year, which was really fun to see. Yeah, there was also one that came from the right, which was the parodies of the Nike ads. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that um, Colin Kaepernick was in. So you see the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, taking sort of classic meme forms to mm-hmm. to make their points. Uh, there's there's one here that uh, stars a cat in a Nike ad. Bite someone for no apparent reason, just bite them. That's yeah. it. And a cat looking, you know, somewhat menacing, or, or uh, kind of aloof is what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, we've reached uh, almost the end of the time. Uh, is there maybe quickly, um, Jeannie and Lynn, uh, any of your favorites that did not make the list? Do you want to just mention in passing? Man, I really I liked actually. I, I was interested in Tide Pods and Momo because they were so folkloric. I think yeah. those get me and Lynn every Lynn and me yep. every time. That is true. I think that and and Tom, you hit on it yourself at the start of the show, the me voting in twenty sixteen versus me voting in twenty eighteen. That was a narrow miss on the ballot. And I think the only reason it didn't make it was that it had just happened. We began putting the ballot together in November um, or in late October even, and it was just happening in one of our criteria. And it's maybe our our least important criterion um, is persistent over time. Mm-hmm. And so because we have to have some means by which to eliminate things from the ballot, we could say, well, if this one's really big, it'll continue on. We might get a mm-hmm. me voting in 2020, you know, a little triptych going next right. time, 16, 18, 20. Um, and in that case, we can all cross our fingers and hope it will be on the 2019 ballot. Right. Or we'll, 2020, we'll, I guess, at that point. We'll look yeah. forward and then see if that happens. You can find a bunch of these on the Facebook page. Uh, just to go to Facebook, search for Digital Folklore Project. Um, you're on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. At DigFolkProj. That, that was the only Twitter handle available to us by the time we, we started this up. D-I-G-F-O-L-K-P-R-O-J. And we've been talking with the uh, co-directors of the Digital Folklore Project, uh, Jeannie Thomas, who is also USU English Department Head. Thanks so much for coming. And Lynn McNeil, USU Assistant Professor of English. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah Public Radio would like to thank our partner, the USU Center for Women and Gender, for sponsoring the UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. Find out how you can become a sponsor by calling 435-797-3215. Happy. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and UPR.org.